Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Well, praise God. Again, another day about to be closed. Hey, you ever thought about we all this hand sanitizer we put on our hands? You know what's going to happen, don't you? We're going to find one day that the hand sanitizer gives us hand cancer, and it would have been better just to fight the sicknesses all along, right? No, it is kind of a, we are involving ourselves in an experiment. We don't know, honestly, ever thought about it. We really don't know what the long <laughs> implications of putting all this stuff. We just soap our hands up in this stuff all the time, right? So I don't know, hey, we're all on the same ride, aren't we? Just buckle up and hang on. Amen. Uh, turn your Bibles tonight to Psalm 15. Psalm chapter 15. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 5. My, my art of checking on people who pay attention worked this morning. I had three people that said, Brother Jonathan, where'd you preach out of this morning? Now I know the rest... The rest of you have been waiting about three times a year. You know why I do that, don't you? But you know what the great thing is? I bet Jackie Vincent, before I started preaching, you were in first, weren't you? There you go. There, <laughs> there you go. And I know a few of y'all looking for first balonians, right? Uh-huh, right. Well, praise God, that... No, actually, it's a really neat thing, and you'll never know when I'm going to do it. And I actually pay attention when I do it. You'll notice I'll call it out, and then I'll start talking because I'm actually looking. And I'm doing a little reverse psychological uh, warfare to find out to show thyself approved workmen that need not be ashamed, right? Rightly dividing the word of truth. And, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's good. I like to hear people say it. Now, don't jump up and know the service and do it, but it's really awesome that right when we got done, somebody came back there and was like, Brother Jonathan, I have a question for you. Uh, you weren't in 2 Corinthians. I, well, I know I wasn't. Where were you at? So thankfully, that person, too, had found the right one. But we're going to look tonight, actually, at Psalm 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 tonight of a, a message titled, Who Can? And it's actually going to ask a question tonight, and uh, the question we're going to really ask for all three of the points tonight is going to be, who can dwell in God's presence? Who can dwell in God's presence? Remember, we saw in the Garden of Eden, mankind dwelled with God. The whole entire Bible is about, you ready for this? I'm going to sum up the entire Bible for you right now in one sentence. The whole entire Bible is God restoring what was broken in the garden. That's the entire premise of the Bible right there. Literally, the entire Bible is God's desire to dwell again with man. That's the whole thing. There's no other narrative in the entire Bible but God's desire once again to restore fellowship, Father, and dwell mankind. So we know that tonight, and the question is tonight, who can dwell in God's presence? And I hope you found Psalm 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5, and if you're able, let's stand tonight out of reverence for the reading of 
God's word. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue, who does not harm his friend, or discredit his neighbor. Who despises the one who rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keep his word, whatever the cost. Who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. The one who does these things will never be shaken. Father, thank you for your word tonight. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, encourage us, bless us, challenge us, convict us if need be, Father. All with the intent to bring glory and honor to your name. The name above all names, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of this. Amen. You may be seated. So again, who can dwell in God's presence? Listen to verse 1 and 2 again. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? Ready? The one who lives blamelessly practices righteousness and acknowledges the truth in his heart. First thing that I want to share with you tonight is this. For those that can dwell in God's presence, ready? Those who walk in truth. Those who walk in truth. Now, does that mean that when you say the one who's right, righteous and blameless, does that mean that you have... No battle with sin ever. You don't have a bad day. You don't say something at times you shouldn't. No, it's not talking about that. Because we know with, uh, with uh, confession of sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, being restored to the Father when there is uh, sin in our life. But those who walk in truth, what is truth? Truth is dealing with the things that we need to deal with. It's getting in God's presence. Those who deal in truth want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of sharing and his suffering, becoming like him in death. Those are people who desire to spend time with God, spend time in his word, spend time in prayer. They love to dwell in his presence and fellowship with the other believers where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst. They desire the things of the Lord. They realize the Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembling, but they do that not just because it's a but they do it because they need it. They desire to dwell together with God. They desire to be in the presence of his people, recognizing that that is eternity. This is on a small scale where we get together on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, an extremely small scale. But what we're doing is getting together with like-minded people who are all united by the one unifying factor that in all things Christ preeminent. That's the exciting part. And the thing is, those who walk in truth are people who can dwell in God's presence. Anybody in here, when you're in unrepented sin, want to get in God's presence? Anybody want to get in prayer and start telling God how awesome he is and want to magnify his name when you've got unrepented sin? That's the last thing you want to do, amen? Matter of fact, the best way you start feeling like, you start feeling a kindred heart with a man named Jonah. Makes you want to run the opposite direction, doesn't it? Makes you want to forget about your Bible reading that you had for that day because you don't want to get near God's word when you're in unrepented. Now, I said unrepented. Clarify that with unrepented sin. Not somebody who has Psalm 51 where the prophet Nathan's come and you have a contrite and a broken heart. I'm talking about someone who is rejecting the notion of repentance right now. You, the last thing you want to do is get in God's presence. And that's the fact tonight. Who can get in God's presence? You can't get there when you've got unrepented sin. 
when you've got issues that need to be dealt with spiritually, it's the last place that you want to be. So I hope and pray that we stay sensitive to convictions, sensitive to God's leading, and we desire to fellowship, desire to stay in his presence, desire to quickly, notice the word, quickly confess sin so that we have a right to be in his presence. With unrepented sin, until there is repentance, we have no right to be in his presence. Isn't that powerful thought? We have no right to be. When we desire to hold on to sin and hold on to things that separate us from God, we are at odds. We are at enmity even then with God in unrepented sin. And what did David talk about in his sin? What happened to his bones? He said, in my sin, my bones wasted away. Think about that. Imagine the effect of sin. It's not what God's desired. That doesn't bring cohesion with us and God. That doesn't bring us in oneness and fellowship with God. It brings us in enmity once again with him. And it's a dividing wall. That's, it's just like the Israelites when there was sin and they'd be put outside the camp. That's what happens. You're outside the camp when you have unrepented sin. But again, we're talking about those ones that can enter God's presence and it's those who walk in truth. And then verse three, those who do not slander with the tongue, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. So you got those that can in God's presence are ones that don't slander with the tongue, don't harm their friends or discredit their neighbors. An interesting thing, because there's a Bible verse that references this. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And the second was like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So number two tonight is this. Those that can dwell in God's presence are those who love their neighbor as themselves. Meaning, you cannot hate your neighbor and say that you have love and fellowship with God. Amen? You can't do it. You might can. can you might can try to convince yourself, well, God, you just don't understand what, no, don't, don't be trying to tell God what your neighbor's done because us, through salvation, have killed Jesus. We took part in his death. So if anybody who has done, who killed his son, thankfully God willingly gave his son to die for our sin, and that's the beauty of tonight's message is in that, in that verse 3, who doesn't slander with the tongue, who doesn't harm his friend or discredit his neighbor, or loving neighbors as yourself. That is something that is God-called, God-commanded, and seriously important to us because of the fact that we loving our neighbor as ourself is a biblical command to us. It's not a suggestion. It's not a hope. It's not a thing that God says, if your neighbor behaves right, you can love them. No, he commands us to. And that's an extremely important thing. When God calls us to do something, I don't care what they've done to you. And you think about it in a sense with the parable, the, merc uh, the parable, the unmerciful servant. Remember, the friend had that. Uh, this the king had one of his people that he owed a lifetime of what a debt to. Remember, he owed a lifetime. Goes to the king because the king's getting ready to sell his possessions to pay the debt. He begs him, says, "Please don't do that." I'm paraphrasing it. And the ping king has what? Mercy and compassion on him. Forgives it. Wipes the slate clean. Then, this man who'd just been forgiven a lifetime of debt. By the way, that's the picture of Christ with us. Goes out of the king's presence. Sees someone who owes him a day's wage, one day's wage. Grabs him. Starts to choke him and says, give me what you owe me. Sees that, reports it to the king. 
turns them over to the tormentors till every dime has been paid. That's what will happen to you if you do not forgive from your heart. We can't hold grudges. We can't hold bitterness. We can't hold resentment, anger. Because if we do, it's the same thing as saying, Jesus, thank you for your salvation and walking out with something that has zero, zero eternal value. Our sin debt had massive eternal debt for us. And he wiped it clean. How dare we go out and choke a servant of the Most High Living God, a creation from God, whether they're blind, and choke them and say, pay me what you owe me. God forbid that happen, because if you look in Scripture, when it talks about the tormentor, the tormenting spirits with King Saul, that is what happens to us as a, if you're a believer that doesn't forgive, God will turn you over to the tormentors, not meaning you're going to hell, that means you can have some extremely tormented head as God has to bring us to repentance. Okay? Very important thing to recognize. Peace of mind is something God gives us. You know what God can easily take from us? Peace of mind. You want to lay down and have sweet sleep at night? Don't hold anything against your neighbors. Don't have enmity. Don't have unforgiveness. Don't bear grudges. Some people pride themselves on how they can hold a grudge. I've heard people say, oh man, old fat, I can, pride, I can hold a grudge forever. Pride myself, I don't pride myself. I thank God that God gives me the ability to forgive quickly and easily. And I realize it based on scripture and it is the, the power of God that is the reason for that. It has nothing to do with me because I would be like one of those people that would hold a grudge forever in a day. So keep that in mind. It's a super important thing. Loving your neighbor as yourself is one of the ways that you can dwell in God's presence, but you will be excused from his presence in fellowship if we hold on to things that God has told us to let go of unequivocally. And then verses four and five. So the one who can dwell in God's presence, listen, who despises the one who reject, who, who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keep his word, whatever the cost, who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent, the one who does these things will never be shaken. By the way, that's really a powerful, um, the one who despises the one rejected by the Lord. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about us not being yoked and in fellowship with people who are in, in complete enmity, who are despised by God. People that are God-haters, insolent, arrogant. Romans chapter 1, you can really look at in Proverbs chapter 1. Those people who are at odds with God. Imagine when we embrace those people that are at complete odds with God. We're not talking about a mission field. I'm talking about being yoked in relationships or friendship with people who are completely despised by God. People who are, what? Blasphemous that are full of malice and envy and strife and hatred and, and all of the things that Scripture speaks to. Not talking about having a ministry to them and trying to lead them to faith in Christ. I'm talking about being yoked and comforting and encouraging those that are literally completely at odds with God. No, the Scripture says right there, the one that despises, the one rejected, they despise the ones rejected by the Lord, but honor, ready? But honor those who fear the Lord and who keep their word, whatever the cost. What that's saying is, 
You keep fellowship with people who are obedient followers of Christ and love the Lord. Don't bring comfort to those that are afflicted because of their rebellion and rejection of what God has created and called them to be. Don't allow those people to find comfort in that because if you allow yourself to be used to bring comfort to someone that God's afflicted, to bring them to faith in Christ, fighting against God. You'll literally find yourself at enmity with God. But the third and final thing I want to share with you comes from those two verses. It's this, those who honor and fear the Lord. So who can dwell in God's presence? Number one was those who walk in truth. Number two, those who love their neighbors as themselves. And then number three, those who honor and fear the Lord. Those are people. Now, what is the reoccurring theme about why these people are welcomed in God's presence? Why can they dwell there? Because they're in fellowship with God, not at enmity, meaning not in odds, at odds with God. That is the reason. It's the same way that when Samson had broken that Nazarite vow, look what happened. And in essence, he excused himself from the covenantal blessing of the Nazarite vow. The, th the thing with King Saul, he was blessed of God. What did he do? Didn't listen spiritually to what he knew should never have been done by offering that sacrifice. He, through his overt act of sin, excused himself from God's presence. And what I was saying just a second ago about the unmerciful servant and the unforgiveness, who did King Saul get mad at? The very one that God, God himself, picked to take the throne after him. Saul's anger for King David was the catalyst, the starting point of the tormenting spirit Allowed uh, to torment King Saul. Look in the scripture and read it. Look in the scripture and read it. So Saul excused himself from God's presence as the because of his sin. God then picked King David of his own accord, God's accord. King David didn't pick himself. Nobody picked, no earthly person picked David. God did. And Saul was furious about it the implications of it. The tormenting spirit would come upon Saul, and what would he try to do? He tried to kill David, and God's blessing protected David all those years, and then we see the day before he dies, Saul goes to the witch at Endor, remember that? Calls up Samuel's spirit, and ultimately Samuel says, you will join me tomorrow. Basically, you're going to die tomorrow, you and your kids. And that's what happened, wasn't it? It's sad because there's a lot of implications in there's a lot of context of dwelling in God's presence. And I think we don't appreciate the fact of how sin can so separate us from God, even as a professed believer. It can, it can put a mountain of space between us and God. I always talk about the, the steel I-beam, 100 foot tall, a one inch thick. You can't see through it, you can't hear through it. And one of the things you might go, you know, what, what happened? It always boils down to I. And it's that massive I-beam that we put up between us and God. We don't understand why God doesn't hear us. Us, we, we're the issue. We're the one that put that I-beam up. We're the one that broke fellowship. God didn't go in. God's on the other side of us. We're the ones that erect that sin barrier in front of our ability to hear God. And the only prayer that God's going to hear at that moment forward 
is a prayer of repentance. The same picture that you see in Psalm 51 with David, that's the only thing that's going to restore us in fellowship with God. God is gracious, God is faithful, but God will not coddle us when we're in sin. Most notably, unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin will put us as far and make us feel farther from God than anything in the world could ever. One of those questions again and once again is, if you don't believe that reading the Bible every day and being in God's word is important, I don't know what to say to you because I know that your walk with Christ is not what it could and should be due to the fact that that is a direct act of disobedience and defiance before the living God. Why in the world would you stick your hand out and stick it over the mouth of God and say, sorry, God, I don't want to hear what you have to say. And by the way, when I get, when, it, when everything starts going downhill at work and my family abandons me and the mess I make starts to come home to roost, oh God, I can't wait to tell you all about what I need and what I want and what I feel like and what I this and I that. But God, please, by the way, I don't want to hear a word. I'm not opening the word today because I don't want to hear one word you have to say to me. As hard as that sounds, it's the truth. It is the truth. You want to hear the voice of God? Do you want to have direction? Do you want to have wisdom? Do you want God to speak to the battle with sin that you have? Sensitive to the Holy Spirit's conviction? You can't do that if you're not in the Bible. I'm sorry, but you can't. You can lie to yourself all day long. You might go, Brother Jonathan, why do you just whip this all the time? You're always beating on this read the Bible thing, read the Bible, because it's the only thing that works, church. If there was another way, I'd be shouting it from the, tr I'd be trumpeting it. If there was some book that would do what God's word do, I'd be doing it. I have nothing to offer you. Either I'm a fool and I'd stand up here and heap judgment on myself because I don't have enough of a backbone to stand up here and speak the truth or I can do what I'm doing right now and not only save myself a bunch of judgment, but likewise save you a bunch of unproductivity a bunch of pain, hurt, heartache, and suffering. And honestly, the real question boils down to this. You're going to tell me that you don't have 15 minutes a day to talk to the God of creation? You don't have 15 minutes to allow him to speak intimately to every issue you have or ever will face? you got a bigger problem. I'd actually encourage you to go see a shrink. You better find a Christian one. And I'm not talking about a psychiatrist that'll give you pills. I'm talking about a psychologist. And if they have any uh, backbone themselves, the first issue they'll address is, are you in the Bible? And if you said no, they would hopefully do what I do when I counsel with you and say, listen, I don't have anything to talk to you about right now because unless God speaks to this situation, we have no wisdom at all but man's wisdom, which will point to be completely futile and meaningless when we are contradictory and potentially to the wisdom of God. So if you want wisdom spoken to any and everything, you want to know who can get in God's presence, get in the Word. I can't give you on Sunday morning and night. You think I preach long now? If I needed to give you enough for the week, we'd be here for hours at every service. It would be time, time for him, honestly. We can't do that, though. This is literally just the cheerleading to a to personal responsibility and personal time in God's word, getting in the presence of the Lord. But if we spend all this time in church, 
being challenged, the only thing you do by sitting in here, I mean on yourself, if you don't do it, I mean that. I want nothing more than the blessing of God to be poured out on every person in this body of Christ and every person that ever tunes us in online. That's the reason that I share the importance of God's word, the importance of getting in his presence, the importance of dwelling there, staying there, staying sensitive to the Holy Spirit as it convicts you, as God leads you. Convicting power of the Spirit is one of the most important aspects of the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the scripture warns us about the deceitfulness of sin that does what? Hardens heart. It says beware, be careful. Deceitfulness of sin does not harden your heart. So I encourage you tonight, if you're not in the Bible and you feel any ounce of conviction, I'd encourage you to go home tonight and get in the Bible. Because God forbid that that conviction began to get quieter and quieter until one day it's silent. And that leads to hardness of heart. You know that I don't even honestly think of a more frightening condition that can happen to somebody who professes to be a believer who has undergone the hardening of heart and only by a divine miracle will anything happen but I believe at the end of the day, the Bible talks about it's better not to know the way of righteousness than to know the way of righteousness and turn your back on the sacred command that was passed down to you. I would encourage you, get in God's presence, dwell in God's presence, stay in God's presence. And God forbid that you find yourself anywhere else and be quick to repent if you are. Because who can dwell in God's presence? We just saw it again. Those who walk in truth. Those who walk in truth are going to be in God's word. Because we don't have a standard of truth, do we? Apart from God's word, do we? There is no other standard of truth. So the only way that we can do that is to be in God's word. And then those who love their neighbor as themselves, we won't love our neighbor as ourselves unless we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And how do we learn to do that? We learn that in God's word. And then again, those who honor and fear the Lord, third and final again, those who honor and fear the Lord are going to be in God's presence because if we honor and fear the Lord, we fear the pain, the loneliness, and the misery of being separated from God. And that's what happens when we have unrepented sin. We separate ourselves from God. It's not God's desire for us. God's desire is to bring wholeness, to bring life, to bring joy, peace, fulfillment and anything that ever within the context of God's word, God's purpose, plan, and, and desire for us, God will give us not one thing will he withhold from us. Not one. Every good and perfect gift he will lavish on us. Not one good thing will he withhold from those who love him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, tonight for your word. Lord, thank you, God, that your word is unchanging. Your truth is eternal. And Father, I pray tonight, Lord, as we go into our mission fields, as we make decisions, Lord, every single day, who we're going to serve. As we talked about this morning, Father, I pray we'll make that concerted effort every day to choose you this day whom we will serve. In our house, we will serve the Lord. God, I pray that the deceitfulness of sin will not be allowed to take hold and that our hearts grow hard. Father, I pray 
that you'll keep us continually focused on you. You're the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Lord, the course that you have set before us, I pray that we'll faithfully run that. I pray that we'll stay desperate for you and be in your presence continually, realizing that there is no truth, there's no path, there is no purpose apart from all that you have for our lives. God, I pray that you'd be glorified in our lives, our families, our workplaces. God, as we go out in the mission field, Lord, give us the words to speak when you put us before the people this week that we will rub shoulders with that may never have heard the gospel message, the gospel truth. God, be glorified in our lives, our families, our workplaces. May you alone be lifted up. Lord, I just pray if there's someone watching online tonight or in this building that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, they recognize that they are separated from you. They realize tonight that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, and he is the only one that can restore them in fellowship with you. I pray in the privacy of their home, in the quietness of their heart, Lord, that they would confess their sin, that they would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and ask you to be their Savior and the Lord of their life. God, get them plugged in in a local assembly if they're online. And God, may alone you be glorified in our lives, our families, our workplaces. And we ask this all in Jesus' precious, holy, and righteous name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.